Well, good morning. Good to see everyone here. You glad you're here? You glad you came? Yeah, that's awesome. Well, hey, we are continuing our series um, called This Is My Story. We kicked it off uh, last uh, Sunday. This is our summer series for June and July. All this summer, uh, we're going to be hearing not only from me, but from people in our church family. They're going to come and they're going to be sharing their story with you. And, and we've got a great group of people lined up. I know it's going to be awesome. The weeks that we don't have people sharing, um, I'm going to do character studies on people in Scripture and tell their story for them. And then we also have some, uh, towards the end of the summer, we have a couple of missionaries that we support as a church that are going to come and share. Uh, share their story. So I'm super excited um, about this series and uh, I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, hello to everyone that's tuning into our podcast as well and listening. Uh, we're glad that everyone's getting the word in them. And so uh, I want to introduce to you this morning, um, our, our guest speaker is Tim Martin. Uh, Tim uh, is an amazing guy. I was thinking about what to say and I'll make the introduction short, but when I think of Tim Martin, I think of integrity I think of character, and I think of a willingness to obey even when it hurts. Uh, and those are some, those are some awesome uh, adjectives, aren't they? It's an awesome description. And so without further ado, Tim, would you please come and share your story with us, brother? Wow. some pretty big words to live up to. Thank you. Um, first thing I want you to do is look at your neighbor and tell them you look good this morning. Now look back at them and tell them, I know. <laughs> we need to know that. God looks good on you. As Pastor Jamie said, my name is Tim Martin, and I am, as many Pearl used to say on Hee Haw, I'm so proud to be here. Some of the younger people are going, who is that? (laughs) Um, This series that Pastor Jamie's doing is so cool, um, because Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, we sit through church, and um, we... We know people, we shake their hand, we hug their neck, we might know their wife or their husband, maybe if they have children, maybe where they work, but we don't know their story. We don't know where they came from. We don't know their struggles. We don't know their trials. We don't know their victories. We don't know their salvation experience. We, don't, we just don't know anything about them. So this series, being able to get to know one another, you know, there's power in your story. Amen. We all have a story. And it's, I think it's our obligation to share our story and not be ashamed of your story as long as you glorify God and what you say. We want him to get the victory in everything. Um, but some stories, you know, we have, we have people over here who, not on this side, but people over here who may have spent their life in prison or on drugs or alcohol or prostitution or no father in their life. And then you have the the. the, the person over here who has generations of pastors in their family and and then they have you know just perfect life and parents celebrating 50 years of marriage and so on and so forth I kind of fall in between somewhere there kind of in the middle of that 
Every, every Sunday, Pastor Jamie gives us a question at the end of his service for us to um, meditate on and pray on, and it's usually about the message that he's just given us of what you would have the Holy Spirit um, say to you through that message. And this morning, I'm going to give you a question, but I'm going to give you the question at the beginning of the service. And if you're a note taker, this is probably a good time to write this down because you want to take it and put it on your mirror. You want to look at it every day. You want to think about it. You want to meditate on it. And the question is, what is my legacy? What is my legacy? And that's your legacy, not mine, yours. What is my legacy? So write that down. What is my legacy? What is a legacy? A legacy is something that you create here, that you work on while you're here, that you can pass on and leave for generations to come after you. For your children and your children's children. The scripture tells us in Proverbs that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now I'm not a theologian, but I don't think inheritance was the way that it was put there was just about money. I think an inheritance that you leave for your children's children is a good name, good character, good reputation, a, a, a fear of God, that you train them up in the way that they should go. For generations, not only your children, but your grandchildren. And for your great-grandchildren, if you're blessed enough to have those. We, Lynn and I now are celebrating four grandchildren, and, and we love speaking into our grandchildren's lives and just loving on them and teaching them the word. And our, our twin boys are almost two now, and I've got them. They'll sit in their high chair, and when they go to eat, they'll say, Thank you, Jesus. You know, so they're learning. They're, they're learning. Um, and my four-year-old grandson, he loves to pray for the meals. He's always about fishing, but he'll pray for the meals. <laughs> he would rather be fishing than anything. You know, my heart is today that we would have time for everybody to just line up and take turns with this microphone and hear everybody's story. That would, that would be so cool to be able to learn everybody's story. But we don't have time. Pastor James said, I didn't have time to do all that today. So um, I've heard through the grapevine that he's the time Nazi, so I'm going to be cautious of the time. <laughs> I don't heard that. Um, but so this is my story. This, I, I'm blessed to be able to share it with you this morning. I was born to two amazing parents. My mom quit high school in the 11th grade and married her high school sweetheart, my dad, and, and, and I was the first child. I was the first grandchild on both sides of our family. And as far back as I can search on my father's side and my mother's side, both families were Christian church-going people who loved one another, loved their families. They worked hard. They helped in their communities. They were just good people. So I'm blessed to have that in my, in, in my legacy to live for. Um, but needless to say, the first child and grandchild, I was spoiled a little bit by love, not by material things, but there was never any question in my family that I was loved unconditionally. I was taught the word from an early age. I was saved when I was really young. I was baptized. We were, um, some people said, you know, they had a drug problem when they were young. Their mama drug them to school or to church every Sunday. I really wasn't drugged, but I was there every Sunday, um, when I was about a year and a half old, my son, my, my brother, Tony, was born. Um, and Tony was this good-looking, blue-eyed kid that just, I mean, would just capture your heart just to see him. When he was 16 months old, um, he had some complications from surgery and went to be with Jesus. And 
life got pretty hard for my mom and dad. And, and uh, I was three, so I didn't really know a lot about what was going on at that time. But we just walked through a tragedy a month ago of losing my three-month-old niece. And I can tell you, no family should have to go through that. It was a tough time for our family. It was, it was hard on my parents. I can tell you this, had it not been for our faith, our family's strong faith and believe in Jesus and our hope of, of expectation of eternal life, we wouldn't have made it through the way we did. We had that hope. Um, when I was about five, a couple of years later, my sister Tammy was born. And Tammy, even her name is sweet. She was so stinking sweet. She just, you know, just sugar just dripped off of her when you just saw her. Just blue-eyed, blonde-haired little girl, and she brought a ray of hope into our life. She brought life back into our family again. We once, we, again, we were a full family. And it was good. Life was really good for us. We, our, our families, we had a lot of friends. We had a lot of family. We camped together. We hunted together. We fished together. We rode horses together. My dad was a cowboy, and my mom was a cowgirl, and they had me on horses. I, I have pictures of me on a full-grown horse in diapers. So I, I could ride before I could even walk very well, you know, and they had me on bulls when I was like four years old. So that's, that was our life, though. That's, that's who we were. And so life was really, really good, you know, going along um, – my dad was also a crop duster. He flew airplanes, and if you ever watch those guys flying those airplanes, that's one of the most dangerous occupations in the world. And back in the 60s when he was flying, they didn't have the, the jet-propelled motors now. They had the old, I mean, if you watch them, they go straight down and straight back up. And they're, they're just, they're, they're wild. But um, they would put this poison dust in this hopper in this airplane and they were going to spray the tobacco fields so I'm going to throw this in for free if you're here today the next time that you want to smoke a cigarette or you want to puff a big old stogie or put a dip in your lip remember that I told you today it was sprayed with poison first okay just saying <laughs> go ahead but <laughs> Anyway, my dad, when, he was, when I was eight years old, he was killed in a crop duster. He died. And um, life changed. Life just almost ended for me. At eight years old, he was my hero. He was my, my idol. He was my father. He was my everything. Um, if he was in his truck, I was with him. And we would go places together. So I'm going to come back and talk about him a little bit more in a minute. But after that, my mom got married a couple of years later, and she married a man that he was a provider, but he wasn't a father. And, and that's probably another thing to write down. Just because you're a provider doesn't make you a father. There's a big difference in being a father and just bringing home money. Okay, and he—that's who he was. I don't think he knew any better, but that's who. It, so it was—it was really different. I went from having a father to having a provider. So life was pretty hard. It was pretty tough for going through high school. His job—we wound up living in South Mississippi. I went to high school out there. I started playing football, and I learned real quick that I could play quarterback, and I was real good at it. 
So I just poured my life into playing football and playing quarterback. I got a job at the Piggly Wiggly. I made a dollar ninety cent an hour. That was minimum wage, boy. I was making money. <laughs> Had me a little car, you know. So we learned how to. You learn how to deal with life. Um, and and I got out of high school. My grandfather was a big bass fisherman. He loved fishing, and he wanted me to come spend the summer with him in Quincy. Um, and and he was going to get me a job with him. And then we were going to fish for the summer and catch a lot of fish. Then I was going to go back to college. And a week after I moved in with him, he went to the doctor. And I watched my grandfather from May until August go from 180 pounds through losing a lung, losing part of his colon, chemotherapy, radiation, the whole gamut, and died in August at 80 pounds from smoking cigarettes since he was 13 years old. Did I mention that the tobacco was sprayed with poison? Something to think about. After that, I just kind of, when I was in high school, I started kind of drinking a lot. And I learned that I liked the taste of alcohol, which is a bad thing. It's it's bad enough that I was drinking then I started liking it, so it got even worse. So after my grandfather died, I just started kind of, I, I tried college for a little while, and it didn't work. I quit. I started riding horses again. First time I'd ridden horses since my dad had died, because that was something that we always did together. And I started riding again, and I realized that I was good at it. I had a gift that I could take a wild horse that had never been touched, and within 15 minutes, he would follow me around like a puppy. And I could train that horse to do whatever I wanted him to do. So I started doing, I just poured my life into that. And that life, I started riding bucking horses and got back into roping cows and all this stuff. And that life led to drinking even heavier. And so so that was kind of my life. I'd work during the week. I'd work, ride horses in the evening and train them. And on the weekends, I was just out riding and roping and, and drinking and doing all the things that I did. I got married at an early age. We had a son that um, is an amazing man to this day. He's 34 years old. He lives up in Auburn, married, got two children. Um, just an amazing young man, a man chasing after God's own heart. And I'm so proud of the man that he is. Our marriage did not work out. We, it just, we just couldn't make it work. I don't think we wanted it to work. It, you know, you have to have God in the center of it, and then you have to want it to work to make it work, and we didn't. So after that, I kind of, I started running with these people on Friday nights. We would go down to, to the management area and, and take our four-wheel drive trucks, and we'd go down there and take all of our liquor, and we'd get on the creek down there, and we'd just sit there and open the doors up and have a party and drink and listen to music and just carry on. There was this one particular Friday night I was there, and I'd had two girls that rode with me that night down there in my truck, and there was a bunch of people around, and I, I looked over on the side over there, and, and there was this girl. You guys know what I'm talking about, this girl. And I said to myself, I said, self? <laughs> Have you ever said to yourself, self? I said to myself, I said, self, you need to go meet that girl. So with all my boldness and my confidence, I walked over to her and I said, how do you do? My name is Tim. 
And she went, how do you do? My name is Lynn. That was a night that God took two wrongs and made a right. 32 years later, we're still riding together. Those two girls had to find another ride home that night. (laughs) See you. Neither one of us had any intention of a full-time relationship, but God had other plans. He brought us together that night. I'd like to say it was love at first sight, but it was lust at first sight. Uh, just, that's what it was. <laughs> we learned how to love each other. We fell in love. We got married a few months later, and we decided that we would never get divorced before we got married. And that word has never come into our conversation. Ever. It hadn't been easy. Um, we're not one of those couples that's never had an argument. But, um, but we made that choice that night that before we got married that we would never get divorced. That's for somebody today. Make that choice. We've got two amazing children. Our son, Buddy, he's uh, 30. Mary lives here in Thomasville. And he's got a tremendous call on his life. An amazing call. If you sit down with Buddy for a little while and talk about um, God, he'll mess up your religious theology. He will mess you up. I ride down the road sometime and I just have to go. And he knows that means stop because i got to process what he just said because it will mess you up. But he's, he's an amazing young man. And then, then for you guys who have sons and daughters, you'll understand this, my baby girl. My baby girl, Rebecca, she's 26 now. She's married. She's got twin boys. If you know anything about Lynn and I, you know about Rivers and Reed. Those boys are our hearts. We, we love spending time with them. But that baby girl of mine, I'll go to jail over her. You daddies know what I'm talking about. Mess with her and see. <laughs> Lynn and I have always been the kind. We would just pour our life into whatever we did together as a couple I was raised in church. She was not. Uh, she accepted Jesus at a young age, but I'll leave that for her story later. Um, but when we got married, we always sent our kids to Bible school every summer. We weren't in church, but we made sure they went to Bible school. That's, that's what good parents do, right? So we did that. We sent them to Bible school every year. But when Buddy was 13, we had an opportunity to go to the power team demonstration in Cairo one night and he got saved him and Rebecca both got saved if you've ever seen those guys they're pretty awesome they rip big phone books in half and bust their heads with block or bust blocks with their heads or you know all that stuff but they're amazing guys and they give an altar call at the end and and they both got saved that night and through that process we started going to a small church in Cairo and we poured our lives into that but you've got to remember all this time I'm still drinking pretty heavy, even through all of that. And because of my raising, I, I knew that I couldn't do both. I couldn't serve God and drink at the same time. Now, if you, if, if you have self-justified yourself that that's okay for you and your walk, good for you. I couldn't do it. So one Sunday morning in February of 2001, I went to the altar and I got on my knees and I said this. It was so simple. I said, God, I, I want to serve you. 
I want to give you everything I have. I want to give my life to you. I want to serve you. I'll go where you say go. I'll do what you say do. But I can't do it and drink at the same time. I just don't feel right about it. I need you to take the taste of alcohol out of my mouth. So that I got up. That was it. Amen. I went, and went home that day. I poured every drop down the drain. Poured the bottles in the trash can. That was 17 and a half years ago, and there hadn't been a drop of liquor touched my mouth since then. Not only will he take it, he'll give you a bonus because I get nauseated just smelling it now. If you really want to give God something, you come down here and you give it from right here and not right here. He'll take it and then he'll make you sick next time you think about it. He'll take it from you. Just trust him with that. Uh, Lynn and I just poured ourselves into church after that. We received a call to go into the foreign mission field in Honduras and in 2008 for eight years of our life left our home and our family and our children and and our jobs and all that and we went and served God in a foreign country country where we didn't know the culture we didn't know the people we didn't know the language I I was on a fast track to learn Spanish (laughs) you you live there you learn it you learn it (laughs) are you never mind that's for later I got (laughs) I got days of stories of living in Honduras and um Man, I messed up the language sometime, but really bad. Um, almost got put in jail over it, but uh, <laughs> I learned to take an interpreter with me. But we just poured our life into serving God, and we're back home now. We're proud to be back home and serving God here and raising our grandchildren. But there's somebody I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about my father. I'm going to back up and talk to him for a minute. Buck, you got a picture for me? See that man sitting on that horse there? You remember what is your legacy? This is part of my legacy right here. He was a big man. He was about 6'5", weighed about 240, 250. He was the kind of man that if you needed your butt whipped, he would stomp a mud hole on you with one foot and kick it dry with the other one. And then he'd reach down with his mighty hand and he'd pick you up and dust you off and give you the shirt off of your back, off his back if you needed that. He was kind, he was compassionate, he was loving, he was caring. He was a man you could trust. He was a man that could go to the bank and borrow money on his word and a handshake. He was that kind of man. He loved God with all of his heart. He loved my mama as Christ loved the church and was willing to give his life for her. He loved his children unconditionally. That's, that's me on the back of the horse with him. It's been a while. He was that kind of man. You could trust him. You could believe what he said. When I was eight years old, we had, uh, he had taken a job flying for a company in Hopeful up here. and we had, we had moved up to Hopeful for the summer. We were living in a little small mobile home in the middle of a pecan grove and there was a knock at the door one morning in June and it was a deputy sheriff and he came to get my mama and he said uh, I, there's been a crash and I need to take you to the hospital and my mama grabbed my sister and I out of the bed and, and put some clothes on us and ran us next door to the, the lady next door there and left us until she could get to a phone 
to call my grandparents so they could send somebody to get us, and she went on to meet my dad at the hospital. See, that morning, he was dust crop dust in a field, and it was real foggy, and he came down across the field, and there was a guy wire that he didn't see, and it caught his landing gear, and it flipped the plane upside down on top of him. And then the plane caught fire. And airplane fuel burned real hot. And he managed to beat, he, he beat the side literally off the plane and got out and crawled to the end of the row. And there was a young man at a house close by that heard the crash and came out, found him, and called the ambulance. I don't know if you've ever had a bad sunburn or burned your finger on the stove or something where it blistered up. Most of the time, those are first, possibly second-degree burns. He had third-degree burns over 80% of his body. The rest of his body was just burnt. Mama said the only place it wasn't burnt was right where his crash helmet was and his big belt buckle that he wore. So they got her to the, got her to the hospital there in, in Camilla, and, and she met with him, and they said, send him on to, to, to Phoebe. We can't, we can't do anything. And she got in the ambulance with him and rode up there, and, and on the way up there, he, he just kept telling her, don't worry, I'll be okay. I'll be all right. Don't worry. Don't cry. I'll be fine. They, they got there, and they said, we can't help him. We don't know how to help him. He said, if you, can, if you can get him to Atlanta, to Emory Burn Center, maybe they can help him. So they, they got a private Learjet. They took him to Atlanta. And every day they would try and just literally peel the burnt skin off. They put a blue dye inside of your body that turns blue where it needs um, skin grafts, and his whole body turned blue. Um, I remember on about the sixth or seventh day, my sister and I were at my grandparents' house, and, and see, Daddy had crashed before, and he'd always come home. So we were expecting him to come home. And about the sixth day or so, I remember seeing my grandfather's car coming down the dirt road, and they came up in the driveway, and and I ran out there to the car, and, I, and my grandparents got out, and my mom got out, and it was, where's Daddy? Where's Daddy? Where's Daddy? And my mama, at 25 years old, did the best she could to take me over to a swing in the side yard and sat me down and said, he's not coming home. He went to be with Jesus. I'd like to tell you at eight years old that I got up that day and I became a man and went and got a job and stayed in school and helped raise my sister and my family, but I didn't. I was a lost, lost, lost little boy. My whole life was just taken away. Again, had it not been for our faith and our strength and our raising, I don't know how we'd have made it through that time. If you're here today and you've had issues with a daughter or son or parents and it's, it's strained right now, go fix it. Don't wait. Go fix it. It may be too late if you don't. The day of his funeral... They had it at First Baptist Church in Quincy. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but it's a huge place. And it was full. The church was full. The choir loft was full. The balcony was full. The foyer was full. There was people outside. There was people in the yard. There were so many cars parked. There was no, they had to block the streets because there was no way to even drive through the streets. In 28 years of life, 
he had impacted that many lives that there was not enough room to contain them. How many lives have you impacted? What does your legacy look like? I'm going to read a letter that my mom gave me years, not too many years ago that was written by his nurse when he was in the hospital in Atlanta. And I'm, I'm going to close with this. And I'm going to ask you, what is your legacy? Are you a person of character? Are you someone who can be counted on? Are you someone that, that you're, if you're a husband, that your wife knows you love her as Christ loved the church? If you're a child, do you know you're loved unconditionally? Do you love your children unconditionally? And do you show them and tell them? This is from Mrs. Thomas E. Carter in Decatur, Georgia. Dear Mrs. Martin, I wish with all my heart things could have been different for you and Buddy and the children. I wept when the hospital called me this morning and told me he had passed away. I want to tell you while it is fresh with me how impressed I was with your husband's courage and Christian acceptance of his agonizing pain. The eight and a half hours I spent with him last night helped me so much, for I had begun to doubt all things. In all the time I've been in nursing, I have never seen anyone such as he and you, and I want you to know it was the most effective sermon I have ever seen or heard. How you managed to be so calm and efficient, knowing all the time the terrible implications, I don't know. You were both magnificent. Whenever I doubt human beings again, as we all do, I shall try very hard to remember Buddy Martin and you. I shall never forget his thanking me last night for helping him in spite of all the hurt. I know you will tell your children again and again what a fine man he must have been. My heart goes out to you, for I know the way ahead is going to be much harder and longer than we could know. I pray that the blessed promise of our Savior that you will see him again will sustain you. May God be with you, and I shall think of you often. Who are you? What is your legacy? Love your children. Love your wives. Love your husbands. 51 years later, I meet people that knew my daddy and were friends with him. And they still cry when they talk about it. Is that you? Is that who God's called you to be? Is that who you're living? Pastor James, we'll come close us out. I'll give Tim a hand for sharing. Wow, what a challenge. Let's stand. That's a good question for us to focus on. If you will, close your eyes. Just take a moment. Ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what's my legacy? Maybe you could phrase it this way. Holy Spirit, who am I called to be? Now ask the Holy Spirit this. Am I walking the right path to achieve that legacy?
I want to ask you a few questions. First of all, with every eye closed, every head bowed, if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, if you were in that plane wreck that took Tim's dad's life, and what, what would happen to you? Do you know that you know that you know where you would spend eternity? Are you following Jesus to heaven? If you don't know that this morning, we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to make a scene out of this. But you do. It is time for you to get right with God. It's why you're here this morning. If you've never had a point in time where you can definitively say, this is when I made Jesus Lord of my life. This is your morning. If that's you, as everyone is, is focused on themselves in this moment, if that's you, just lift your hand. Lift your hand to God. Lift your hand to let him know that you're making that decision. And let him know that you are beginning the journey of following him, of living up to the legacy that he's called you to. Thank you, Lord. For everyone else, I'd love to lead you in a prayer right now where, where we commit our legacies to the Lord, where we allow him to speak to us about who we are to be and what we are to do. If you will, pray this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I give to you my legacy. I want to be one whose life is celebrated. And when I go to be with you, Lord, may I have affected the world around me in a positive way. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to guide me into the ministry and the legacy you've called me to. In Jesus' name, amen.